Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. The Boston-based Roxbury International Film Festival, or Roxfilm, is back for its 24th annual event. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, where hope starts the day and defeat kicks off the night, lived a boy named Ray Wright. Don't realize that beer started in African continents long before the Europeans even got there. I hear you. You are the woman with the golden voice. Really? I mean, big time. Those were clips from If My Voice Rang Louder Than My Skin, an animated short, One Pint at a Time, a documentary, and the biopic Remember Me, the Mahalia Jackson story, all featured at Rock's Film. Festival organizers are once again offering a hybrid structure, allowing attendees to view screenings both online and in person. All of the films spotlighted by the Roxbury Film Festival are curated to display the cinematic excellence of film professionals of color. This year's schedule is packed with 80 films showcasing everything from documentaries to animation, along with panel discussions and live Q&As. All the fun kicks off next week and will run through July 2nd. Joining me now, Lisa Simmons, director of the Roxbury International Film Festival. Welcome back, Lisa. Hello, Callie. Thank you. Thank you again for having us. Of course. And also with me, Soren Sorensen, Associate Teaching Professor of Screen Studies at Clark University and an award-winning filmmaker. His second feature-length documentary, Omar Sosa's 88 Well-Tuned Drums, is showing at this year's Rocks Film. Welcome, Soren. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. So, Lisa, kick us off. Um, 80 films. Uh, we've just had a little taste in, of the three that we played there. What is exciting you most this year about uh, what you have to offer? Oh, my gosh. I mean, so many things. We, I mean, I think it's exciting that we're more uh, back in person than we are online. So that's going to be exciting for audiences and filmmakers. But, you know, what's exciting, too, is that... We have a lot of local filmmakers this year, which is um, which is always really great. I mean, that is our mission to support independent filmmakers with a focus of filmmakers that are from the area. And so I think that that's really exciting. And we are in three different places this year. We're at the Museum of Fine Arts. We're back at Roxbury at Hibernian Hall for two days of screenings. And we're partnering with uh, with Arts Emerson. So um, so we're moving around the city a little bit. And, and, and that's exciting. It's exciting. So with the uh, local filmmakers, was that an intentional focus or it just happened? Because I know you get so many um, films submitted to the festival. I mean, it just happened. I, I, I mean, that's what's exciting. I, I'm, I'm seeing so many more local filmmakers like Soren and other people 
who are who are doing great work. And you know, I mean, I think it's just a testament to the way the filmmaking world is happening right now, especially in the independent world where it's not that expensive to make films that people are trying to tell their stories uh, that have never been told before and unearthing these voices we've never heard before. And there's a platform for them. And and people are using film as a way, you know, to to help move their conversations and their passions and their feelings. And and I think that that's what's exciting that that people are understanding what an important important medium film film is. So the Roxbury Film Fest is one of uh, about uh, top twelve film festivals. Period. But it's also the largest film festival featuring films about and produced by filmmakers of color. Talk a little bit about that and. That's pretty impressive because this is your 24th year. 25 is going to be pretty big next year, but you've been building to this for quite some time. We have been. I, and, you know, I mean, it's it's funny. You never know when you start something, when you start to build it, what it's going to become. And and I think that that's what we're really excited and happy about, that we still have, you know, a really strong, loyal audience. We have new audiences every year. I think it's really, really important to highlight these stories um, and to give filmmakers the opportunity to tell these stories and give them a place where they can exhibit them. Uh, and and everyone knows Boston audiences, as you know, are, are very different than other audiences and other places. And I think that that's what's exciting for me, that people coming uh, to Roxbury have filmmakers have a really different experience and and it's because of our audience and I think that that's a wonderful thing and and we'll continue to do it we'll continue to lift these voices there are so many more every year there's more and more gets harder and harder to choose what films will be in the festival so I just think it's a really exciting time for filmmakers and especially those celebrating people of color and filmmakers of color. Well, someone who cut through with his film, Soren Sorensen, thanks for joining us. And your film is Omar Sosa's 88 Well-Tuned Drums. Gotta say, never heard of this gentleman before. So excited about your film. It's beautiful. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. (laughs) So tell us about um, how you, tell us about the film. First of all, what's it about briefly? And then we'll get a few more details about it. Sure. Well, I uh, I met Omar through a freelance writing assignment, you know, 10 or 12 years ago and ended up on a, on a Skype call with him for an hour um, and just just chatting about music and his upbringing and um, a little of his background. And this is an, like a really prolific artist who has sort of maybe like 30 albums in the past, you know, since 1995 when he emerged as a solo artist in the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, it kind of runs the gamut. I mean, part of the film tries to reconcile or parse you know what kind of music he is that that's what the the trailer of the film does that a lot too it's like well it's jazz it's electronic it's world it's indian it's this it's that so he really is kind of an international artist but he hails from cuba and cuba has as many of in your audience will know cuba has a kind of an outsized influence on on music all over the world just cuban diaspora and an african diaspora um and uh and Omar takes all of that on board, and and you know this, the film is is you know cuts between his work, his different sort of files of activity, and his biography, which is fascinating in and of itself. So you fooled me because I was interested uh, in the film just because of the title, and of course, <laughs> Omar Sosa's eighty-eight well-tuned drums. I'm thinking, wow, let me see this guy play eighty-eight drums, <laughs> and that is not what we're talking about. Please explain. 
Well, I, I can't take credit for the title. I, I lifted it from uh, from a jazz writer named um, Eugene Holly Jr. And uh, with permission, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, it's 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 difficult to describe music. It's like there's this famous quote, like writing about music is like dancing about architecture or something. It's like, uh, you know, you, it's difficult to describe what Omar does. And it's difficult to describe any kind of music, let alone what Omar does. Um, and I think one of the things that always comes up when when his his piano playing is, is being described is that he really does play. A, this instrument as a percussion instrument. I mean, piano is a percussion instrument. It's a, it's a it's a string instrument, but it's also a percussion instrument. But when you listen to him play, there's this kind of I don't I, don't, I wouldn't say childlike, but there's this kind of mischievous. You get the sense that he's constantly kind of playing with the instrument in a, in a way that's unconventional or in a way that kind of, again, I'm, I'm not a dancer myself, but gets your feet tapping and gets you out of your seat kind of thing. Um, and, and I, and I don't know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's oversimplifying, like I, like I'm saying, you know, to say that he plays in a, in a very rhythmic fashion because all of his, you know, all of his contemporaries and peers do. And, and it's not to say that other pianists don't have good rhythm or something, but he was very much trained in the conservatory system um, in Cuba, you know, as, as a marimba player, as, as a percussionist and, and learning classical music. So he played Timpani and, and you know percussion like that, um, and so when he emerged as a pianist, I think all that stuff was just really shot through his playing, and it was impossible to shake. Well, the way that he plays and and who he's become um, in the jazz world, though he would say, as he did in your film, that he doesn't consider himself a jazz pianist. I mean, part of the the mystery and the attraction to him is that he's hard to characterize. So here's WNYC's John Schaefer speaking about Omar Sosa's music in the Sorensen documentary. I first heard Omar's music in the mid-90s, and I think what uh, first struck me about his playing was that it was the kind of thing I had trouble situating. It wasn't, it wasn't quite fish nor fowl. <laughs> definitely an element of jazz, but you could also hear perhaps a kind of what we would now say post-classical uh, feel to it. And even though it wasn't explicit, there was definitely the, the echo of, of his Cuban roots. And just to underscore what John Schaefer said, those 88 well-tuned drums really refer to the keys on the piano and how he plays it in the way that he does. So he, as you've said, came from Cuba and established himself, took a while to find his way. But he's so interesting because it seems jazzy to me, but as John Schaefer and both you have said, he sort of crosses many, many uh, musical genres. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, as a, as a little sort of peek behind the scenes for, for those of you who aren't filmmakers, interviewing radio personalities is the best because they speak in perfect sound bites. I mean, it's really talking to John Schaefer about Omar's, Omar's music was really a joy. And it was it, it wasn't even that long an interview, but he, he, he packed a lot into it. And I think John probably knows what he thinks of music pretty quickly. And to be for him to be stumped, or him to be confounded by somebody's playing, it's it's worth kind of listening and, and, and checking out. But you know, you, there are there are things that Omar plays that sound like jazz, but you you will never hear him play. 
you know, my funny Valentine or something, or he, mm-hmm. he's not going to play a standard night and day, or, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to show up at one of his shows in here and play a miles tune or a Coltrane tune or something like that. He just, that's, he's just not what he does. Like he's never, he's never made a Christmas record. He, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't play the great American songbook or anything like that, but he really understands jazz as an idiom, as a, as a genre and, and as a composer. Um, but he's always reaching, you know, he, he's, equal parts of this kind of virtuosic composer and at the same time an incredible imp- improviser and he doesn't he doesn't do the same sh- set show twice as somebody in my doc says ned sublet um the great author you never know what you're going to get and i think that's what appeals to his fan base and, and to people who are new to his music so lisa what appeals to your fan base are stories like this i come to it i feel like i kind of sort of know my way around the the jazzy world or the music world never heard of this guy and here's this fabulous documentary and it's compelling absolutely this is exactly what we're all about is this like fiercely independent raising the visibility of somebody like omar having soren you know who hasn't been at our festival like you know to be able to bring this to our to our audience is exactly what they're looking for they you know, they're constantly, people are constantly talking about what they've learned, how they've, you know, been impacted, which is one of the most exciting parts about being at Rock's Film is that you're going to learn things. You're going to meet people that, that you, that you, you never even knew that you should know, right? And you're going to meet them through film and you're going to meet them in person, or you're going to meet them online because we have a great online program too. But I think that that's, you know, that has been our mission for the last 24 years and it will continue to be that mission. It's, it's not about celebrity. It's really about giving people the opportunity to share these incredible, incredible stories. And you're right. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. And we're excited to have it as part of our closing night program. Here's your one moment. I give it to you every year to talk about the fact that in so many, so many times in these festivals, a there's not a lot of folks of color, and b some some who get in get in because of what we might describe as stereotypical content. Everybody's poor. Everybody's a criminal. Everybody's uneducated. Listen, that's not to say that's not a reality that 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 shouldn't be certainly documented and has been documented beautifully in in some films. But your point is there's a broader world out there of the lives of folks of color. Exactly. And 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 you're right. I mean, we're not a monolith. And uh, and, you know, there are so many stories that are out there that that people you know need to know about. There are people, there are heroes, there are history stories. Um, there are all these different, you know, spaces and places that we really need to be exploring and working with filmmakers to help them bring those to a larger screen um, and a larger audience. And I and I think that you know, that's what we're most proud of is you are going to walk into Rock's film. You are going to watch things and see things that that, that are going to make you really laugh and smile and maybe cry and 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 and, and excite you like a film like like Omar. Um, and, and that's what we want to do. And, and that's what we're we're really excited to do again this year in our 24th year you know, in addition to like script readings and production workshops and acting workshops. So, so yeah, so we're ready. We're ready for 24. <laughs> um, back to you, Soren. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy in any films are the, the, the surprise. I have noticed uh, over the last few years that a number of filmmakers such as yourself have turned to animation as part of the film making. So we have live action, of course, with your people, but but you have some beautiful animation that's used judiciously throughout 
the piece to continue to tell Omar's story. Part of it is used when he's talking about landing, actually, in the country and try to find his place. So I'm going to play the piece from the film where he is speaking about how he came to America and got started. And I want people to know that when they see the film, that this part of his talk is underscored but with some interesting animation. I came to to San Francisco, no English, nothing. I don't even know what's going to happen. I simply say, I'm here. I want to open. And my friend took me to a bar. And Jeff said, okay, he's a Cuban guy, can play piano, you want him, you want him, he play? And they call me and play. I'm, and they have, you know, some standard, I say, I don't know any. But you have sharps, to say, okay, well, they have sharps. I have to play. And it's like when you have energy, you and you want to eat the whole world. Like, I play like, I try to eat the piano. And they say, amen, you play, you play. I say, well, I don't know if I play, but I have a good time. <laughs> I love that piece. And his face is so animated. And then you have the mix of the animation. Uh, why animation for you? I mean, it, it solved a few problems. I mean, there aren't a ton of photographs of Omar pre, you know, his solo career starting. I used what I had as a lot of stuff from his early childhood. But, the, you know, there's not there's not like a lot of, of this era of him. Um, and the animation, especially given some of the really key or what I identified as some of the key moments in his in his early earlier life before his solo career began, um, which is, you know, he, he, you know, growing up in Cuba, attending music conservatory, moving to Ecuador, serving in the Angolan civil war um, and then finally moving to san francisco where he where he started his solo career it, it was just it just seemed like the, the only way to bring his words to life um without you know kind of just looking at a talking head essentially and as as great a talking head as omar is i mean he's, he's just a great character for a film um but but you know as as great as that is it's nice to sort of underscore all that stuff with some with some visuals and uh you know it was great to it was i was honored to partner with a, a company here in Pawtucket, rhode island actually called floating pair and they did an amazing job you know, character designing and and doing all this stuff they're they're film, they're just incredible to work with and, and they did an amazing job they certainly did. It's really interesting. I loved also the fact that you wrapped his story around a story about a Yoruba deity, <laughs> a deity yeah. who is Yoruba. Um, and that was interesting uh, because you really wanted to seat his story in uh, in the culture. Yeah, well, I certainly didn't want, as a white filmmaker, I wasn't interested in presenting a history lesson um, of Elegua or, or Santeria or anything like that. Like I said, some of this stuff, it takes care of two issues, which is like, you know, the, like when we talk about the animation, um, I, I'm, I'm serving a purpose for the film structure, but it's also this really splashy kind of colorful element with the story of Elegua being the, the, the kind of the thing you go back to in the film, these text elements, this was actually printed in the liner notes of one of Omar's CDs. And I was kind of looking for a spine or a mm -hmm. kind of a, a backdrop to set the film against. And that seemed a really perfect way to kind of glue these, to, to organize these stories and kind of put them up on a board and say, okay, what order am I going to take these? And if you're going to, after you hear some of this wild music and kind of, and, and, and of these really splashy kind of um, intricate stories, and, and they're very fast, it's a dense film. Um, Omar talks like I do. We talk, you know, we talk kind of fast and he's got a lot going on yes he does um, I uh so 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 then you kind of you get a breather and 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 you get a little piece of audio and you read a little bit of this story and then you you get to revisit that story throughout the you know throughout I mean from the very top to, to, to the very end um so you're, you're learning a little bit about his 
religious practice without it being, um, you know, again, too much of a history lesson or too much like, you, you know, you need to be invested in, in this religion in order to get anything out of this film. That, that was one of the last things I did, actually. That was a, that was a big deal when I, we sort of figured out to do that. Um, I, was, it, it, I think it works really well. I hope other people do, too. Well, clearly some other people already do. You uh, won Best Documentary for the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival. Maybe you can win something here at the Rocks Film Fest. We'll see. Uh, but you, you're going in, um, you know, with that. Uh, so folks have responded to it. I'm going to imagine that, you know, this will be a very interesting audience, very different from the other festivals where the film has been presented. And so it'll bring something, some other texture to you in terms of response. Yeah, you know, it's a huge honor to be in any festival and you, you, you cast a or I cast a kind of wide net. And, and I, I tell my students at Clark University all the time, it's like this is, you know, 99 percent rejection. You just have sort of have to just deal with it. It's not, a, you know, it's not it's not personal reflection on you and you kind of have to be, you know, give yourself a break about it. Um, but to get into the Roxbury International Film Festival, again, I'm, I'm based in Rhode Island, so close to home. But in the mid 90s and, and early 2000s, I lived in Roxbury. Um, I went to Berkeley College of Music. And so and I'm in Boston all the time. So it's it's a huge honor to to be able to just you know take a take a short drive you know mm-hmm. and, and enjoy a festival and see a screening um we had our world premiere in dallas at the usa film festival in april and that was the first i realized that was the first time i had been in a legitimate movie theater mm-hmm. since before covid and that was a real strange thing to sort of sit down and watch my own film in a, in a real movie theater as wow. the first time I had, I had come out of covid so you know documentary filmmaking can be a kind of solitary process but to to gather together with an audience any audience is a huge honor and and it's it's a privilege to be in this festival and every festival that we get into. Well, yeah, you did a great job. So uh, everybody's going to enjoy it, I I am certain. Uh, Back to you, Lisa, for these final words. I just want to mention there are a couple of special events you have going. You're featuring Love Jones, starring Lorenz Tate and Nia Long at the MFA. Maybe people didn't know Nia Long before, but now they do, because she's the girlfriend of (laughs) the Celtics coach. So (laughs) Exactly. I mean, we, you know, we wanted to do something to celebrate the 25th year. We know that it's been screened around. But we figured, you know, why not an outdoor screening of it? We're going to be doing a conversation with Reggie Gibson, who basically the movie um, is about. He's local. He's here. He's a poet. We're really excited to have a conversation with him about that. We do have Darian Gibson, who is the SAG Indie uh, executive director, who's going to be here talking about, you know, how to use SAG actors and a, a great production workshop, as well as an acting workshop for people who are looking to get into the business and some really great opportunities to hang out and for filmmakers to meet each other. And then the Rocks Film at Home online portion of the festival, which was really specially curated for people who, you know, are just not ready to to come outside and um, and be in a theater. And, and we respect that. And we know we have audience members like that. So we want to support everyone who wants to see these great and amazing films this year. Um, one last question. I remember last year you were a little concerned about the streaming services snapping up so much uh, content that it was hard for festivals to be able to, you know, particularly yours, where you have a very specific focus of getting what you need. Has that gotten better, easier? Because, you know, the films have returned to the theater. Yeah, you know, it's it's still hard. It's still difficult. But, you know, I mean, there are certain films that, right, that were at Sundance or at other places that we would love to bring to Roxbury. And um, oftentimes they're just picked up and, in, in, you know, in distributors' hands before the June Fest comes around. So, 
Um, but you know that it, it is what it is. And, and we have an incredible festival and we have films like Soren's and we've got Mahalia Jackson and we've, you know, we, so we've got some incredible, incredible films. You know, I'm, I'm glad that more indie films are, are getting picked up. I, I think that's a positive. I, I think that says a lot for the indie film world. Um, and we're, you know, we're excited to work with a company called Slated, which is out of LA that is, um, that is a distribution company. So, you know, we're building and we're, and we're trying to really get these voices out there in a, in a, in a global space. Um, so, so is it hard? Yeah. But Hey, like, look, look at the space we now have to yeah. have these films here. <laughs> well, congratulations once again, cause it's not easy pulling together something on this scale and, uh, 24th year. And we'll be looking forward to seeing what you bring us for the 25th year uh, <laughs> Rocks Fest next year. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks so much, Soren, for joining me. Thank you so much, Callie. Thanks, Callie. Lisa Simmons is the director of the Roxbury International Film Festival. Soren Sorensen is an associate teaching professor of screen studies at Clark University and an award-winning filmmaker. His second feature-length documentary, Omar Sosa's 88 Well-Tuned Drums, is showing at this year's Rocks Film. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Elias Chavez is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.